Well, hello, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Thank you for coming. Um, okay, so... Have I got a picture today? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. That's my, uh, that's my visual aid for today. So enjoy. I'm sure it's making you peckish already just looking at it. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from... This is called, by the way, um, Give a Little Bit. And I'm going to read from Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So today is about giving a little bit and really letting Jesus do the rest. And, and, and this passage is really a classic example of that because faced with a crowd of 5,000 very hungry men and probably the same number of women and children spread across the Galilee hills, the disciples were overwhelmed at the prospect of feeding all of them. And so they posed the problem to Jesus and he just fired it straight back at them. So they said to Jesus, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat, in verse 36. And immediately he said to them, in verse 37, you give them something to eat. So at that point, they sort of prevaricated, probably looking at each other, and... Um, they felt that really what he was saying was quite irrational and unreasonable and made the point that this would take more than half a year's wages and are we really to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So at this point, Jesus simply told them to go away and find out how many loaves they actually had. And they did, which didn't take them very long. And they came back and said that they had five loaves of bread and not only that, they had two fishes as well. But really, that was all Jesus needed. And it was enough for him to get started on the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So what I want to think about today are really the principles that we can apply to our own lives from this passage. Um, and how that informs our relationship with Jesus. So the first principle really is we don't have a lot to give. We don't have a lot to give. I don't think that's a revelation to you. I think you've worked that one out already. But when it comes to a contest with Jesus about who's better equipped to meet a need, or deal with a crisis, well, Jesus always wins hands down. 
But really that isn't the point, because the second principle is that what we have, the little that we have, is enough to give. We only have to give a little bit. So even though we don't have much to give, we do have enough to give. And however little or inadequate that may seem to us, combined with what Jesus has to give, it suddenly becomes more than enough for him to work the miracle, to work supernaturally in whatever situation we may be facing. So we give a little, but he gives the rest. So those are two principles I just want us to remember. One is, we have very little to give, but the second is, even though we have very little to give, actually we have enough to give. And my third principle is this, it takes two to tango. We've got to both get involved in this. If you look through the Bible time and again, we read of somebody doing something first, however meagre, and then God uses that to bring about an abundance and to meet need. So really this is like our seed money, and if we plant it, however little it seems, God will make it grow. And if we didn't plant it, then he'd have nothing to work with. So the principle is about us working together with him in bringing about the solution to any problem that we may face and us, through faith, doing something first about it. I want to show you an example from the Old Testament. So in 1 Kings we read about the prophet Elijah in a time of the wicked king Ahab and Elijah had declared a drought because Ahab and his queen Jezebel they had really corrupted the nation and led the people of Israel astray and away from God. So this drought came and during the first part of the drought Elijah was in the wilderness living by a brook being fed miraculously by ravens. And this is where I want to pick up the story and this is in verse 7 of chapter 17 of the book of 1 Kings. So sometime later the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Um, okay, I'm going to carry on for a little, a little longer. Um, so, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself 
and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first, first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now can you see there the parallels between this passage and that story about the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark? We have a hunger problem, we have somebody making an unreasonable and irrational request to somebody who is in no position to meet it, but because they contribute a little bit, first, a miracle occurs which satisfies them all. And I think it's th that first is important. I emphasised it when I read it. So I just want to look again at verse 13 where it says, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then... Make something for yourself and for your son. So, really, what he's requesting doesn't make sense because she's already told him that she only has enough flour and oil to make a little something for herself and her son so they can then die of starvation. So, if she uses that flour and that oil to make something for Elijah, she won't have anything left to make anything for herself and her son. So, therefore, what Elijah is saying to her requires faith on her part to give the little bit that she has to him and to trust that God will provide the rest for her and her son. It was really quite a big ask. And we read in verse 16, it really emphasises this point, when it says, For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the, lord, the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So because she was really willing to give that little bit that she had first, God was able to do that miracle, and that satisfied them all for the rest of the time that the drought continued. Now, it's not always about what Jesus is asking us to give. Sometimes it's about what he's asking us to give up, and that's something else that we need to think about. So, for example, I can remember when I was a young teacher back in the 80s, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, I was very ambitious and I wanted, I wanted to get promotion quick and an acting deputy headship um, arose in the school where I was working and I felt that really because so many people had resigned that I was 
the most qualified <laughs> of the remaining staff to take on this role. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go for that. And I kind of made it known, informed me that I was going to go for it. But there happened to be on the staff of this school a teacher who happened to go to the same church that I did, and she happened to decide that, well, actually, she wanted to apply for this acting deputy headship, and she made it quite clear to me that she didn't expect me to compete with her. So that gave me a little bit of a dilemma. I had my own personal ambition, um, but I could see that if I persisted, she wouldn't be very happy, even though I knew that she was totally unqualified for this position because she was very inexperienced, and I didn't think she'd be able to do the job very well at all. So I prayed about that, and God spoke to me very clearly and told me to just let her go for it. Give up any ambition that I had for this post and just let her go for it. So I did, and I said to her, I've decided I'm not going to apply, so you just go for it. And she went for it, and she didn't get it. But she was quite happy with me, and the relationship continued and all the rest of it. So that was positive from that point of view. But do you know, within a year, I had secured a permanent deputy headship here in Norfolk at a school in Kings Lynn, within a year of that happening, um, which... Uh, and the other thing is that when I went for that deputy headship, there were four other candidates, all of whom were much stronger and more experienced than I was, and yet I got the job. And that's what brought me to Norfolk. Now, um, if, I, if I had persisted, if I hadn't listened to God saying to me, give that up, that ambition, um, and I'd persisted in trying to go for that role, I wonder how things would have turned out they would have turned, in my opinion, they would have turned out very differently, and certainly you'd have never heard of me to start with. So I just think uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how God works? He does work in very mysterious ways. Um, so it may be that He's not asking you to give a little bit, it may be He's asking you to give something up. So I think really we need to start thinking about our problems in a different way. You see, the conventional approach when you've got a problem is this, and this is certainly what I tend to fall into. This is my default position. I've got a problem. So I tear my hair out and for a long time worry about it, and then I remember to pray. So I pray about the problem, and I expect God to sort everything out for me, and then eventually, after a lot of cajoling and even bargaining on my part, he does. And then I've got another problem. And, and that kind of is the pattern that I think many of us find ourselves in. But if we took a slightly different approach and applied these principles that the scripture is telling us, I think there's a much more efficient way of dealing with our problems. So, I've got a problem, I pray to God and ask, what can I contribute first? What little can I give first to help sort out the problem? And he shows me, I do it, 
the problem goes away. And then, I don't have problems anymore, only ingenious solutions. That makes life much more exciting and much less stressful. So I think if we start to apply some of these principles, we may be surprised at the difference that it makes. And to be honest, the Bible is full of examples. When you start looking, you can see it's full of different examples. So I want to, I want to give you another one, and this is where, if you remember um, Joshua and the fall of Jericho, he had a big problem because he'd just crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land with the people of Israel, and they come up against this mighty walled city of Jericho that was totally impregnable. And there was just no way that they were going to be able to besiege it or overcome it. But God had different ideas. And we read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets on ram's horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Well, I suppose if I was Joshua, I might be thinking, okay, well, God may show me a weakness in the wall that I'm not aware of, and he may tell me to go to such and such a place and dig a tunnel or direct all my forces simply at this one weakness in the wall, and then possibly we might just get in, a bit of a fight, and you never know what might happen. But no, God does not provide any kind of military solution for them. He doesn't ask them to do any fighting or anything like that. He simply tells them to use their legs and trumpets. And that's all they've got to do. They just have to go for a leisurely walk once a day for six days around the walls, well out of reach of the defenders, and then they have to do a bit more walking on the seventh day, blow the trumpets a few more times, and that's all they need to do. So that instruction is certainly irrational. And it's not so much unreasonable, because they can do it, as surreal. It, it bears no relation to the problem. And this is the thing that I think we need to grasp, really, about how God operates, which is so different about how we operate, is that, that he sees solutions in places where we just won't go. And he comes up with ideas which we would never have thought of. And if we just listen to him and obey him and do the little things that he asks us to do, which are well within our grasp... 
Uh, we've all got legs. To a certain extent, we, we can do that. Um, th there are people who can play trumpets. That isn't too hard. If, if we listen to him, then he will do the rest. If we simply do what he asks us to do first, they had to do that first, then he provided the solution after that. So, my fourth and final principle that's coming from the scripture is this. Whatever he asks you to do, just do it. However irrational it seems, however unreasonable it seems, however surreal it seems, just do it. And then he will bring about the miracle you need after that. Do you remember the wedding at Cana? when Mary was complaining to Jesus that the wine had run out and Jesus was saying, don't get me involved in this. And then, and then Mary, because um, she knew him, she knew him well, um, she said, if we, we read this in verse 5 of John chapter 2, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That was very good advice. That's really good advice for all of us. Do whatever he tells you. So if there's a problem, just do whatever he tells you, and the problem will be solved. So in this case, he told them to fill some jars with water. Which they, had, they had no wine, but they had plenty of water, so they could do that. That wasn't hard for them. And then he did the rest. Because they had contributed their bit first, he was able to bring about the miracle. So, so really, in conclusion, the first principle that I've just set out here is that when there's a problem, we don't have much to give. We have very little to give. But the second principle is, despite the first principle, we still have enough to give. Our little is enough in God's economy. And the third principle is that it takes two to tango. So unless we're willing to play our part in this spiritual dance, then it's never going to get started. We have to move first to give our little bit, and then he can take that and he can bring about the miraculous and solve whatever problem we're facing. And the fourth principle is whatever he tells us to do, just do it. Don't prevaricate, don't rationalise, just do it and then you'll be amazed at what will come about after that. Now, one footnote to the feeding of the 5,000 is that at this point, literally just before they, they had the conversation about how we're going to feed them all, the disciples had been telling Jesus about all these miracles that they had done when he had sent them out in pairs. Do you remember he sent them all out in pairs and they went off and they were healing the sick and they were driving out all demons and all the rest of it. And they came back to Jesus at this very moment when you had all the crowds out there and they were, they were, they were telling him all the things that they had achieved and all the miracles that had happened just before they started talking about bread. 
So I think, so their faith would have been sky high at that point. They would have been so excited relating back to Jesus all that had occurred in his absence. And I think that when they suddenly said, oh, what are we going to do about all these people? And he said, you give them something to eat. He was kind of testing them to see if, if they could apply the miracles that they had seen, they, 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 their faith in God, that they could apply that to realise that actually um, they could do something here. But they didn't really pass that test. Um, so Jesus had to go back to basics with them again. And that's the thing, that, that he's very patient. He's patient with us, just as he was patient with his disciples. And he does ask very little of us, really, if only we'd be willing to contribute it. First, without complaining or prevarication. And if we could do that, we would really unleash that spiritual climate where miracles can happen. Miracles both for us and for those around us. So let's just, let's just think about that for a moment. Let's just close our eyes and just reflect on that for a moment. And what I want you to think about first is the biggest problem that you're facing at the moment. What is the one problem that is worrying you and exercising you at the moment? I just want you to think about that for a moment. It shouldn't take you long to think what that one is. And then I just want you to ask God to show you the little bit that you can contribute first to help bring about a solution to that problem. It may, be, it may seem very irrational, it may seem quite surreal, it may seem to have no bearing on the problem whatsoever. But I'm just praying now, Holy Spirit, you've got all these problems represented through people in this room. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would inspire people even now, that you would show them the little bit that they need to give to bring about solutions because you will do the rest. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us that faith to know that if we just give our little bit to you, you'll do everything else and you'll take care of it. And Lord, I pray that we'll get good testimonies in the weeks to come of problems being solved because people applied these principles and were willing to give that little bit to you and then saw what you could do with it. I just want to pray if there's anybody here who hasn't yet given their heart to Jesus, you haven't asked Jesus to come into your life, you know that you're not yet a Christian, but here you are in church listening to the gospel, listening to the message. But I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit will really work in their heart, that you will inspire them to, to desire to know you and to love you and to follow you because that's the best thing they could possibly do. That's the best decision they could possibly make. I just want to say a prayer for anybody who's in that position who wants to follow Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on a cross that we might be forgiven for all our sins. Jesus, I want to follow you. I give my heart to you. I want to turn away 
from the things in my life that I know are wrong, from the things in my life that are holding me back. And I just want to give myself wholeheartedly to you. Jesus, come into my heart. Turn my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Fill me with your peace. Give me peace at last. And Lord, I pray that from this day forward, I will follow you for the rest of my life, knowing that you have my best interests at heart. And by following you, I can bring glory to God and I can, I can become the person that you've always wanted me to become. But I pray that this morning I would make a fresh start with you and I would know that I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And if anybody prayed that prayer today for the first time, do please come and see one of us afterwards because we would like to celebrate with you just as the angels are celebrating in heaven that another person has joined the kingdom of God. Thank you.